of all the conversations you could have chosen to have with me. You know, listen to your podcast. I'm like, oh, I could have done that one. I could have done that one. <laughs> this is the one I'm like, Ugh. it's not the one I wanted to have. I said, if God takes you, I will never go to church again. Salt and light. Where does it say light? Nobody told me you can grieve this. You're going to be grieving sex in your marriage. You are the salt of the earth. God put a baby in your tummy. So everything was withheld in God's hand, that all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Let's start, um, you know, kissing. <laughs> Let's try the ESV. Hi, I'm Danielle, and welcome back to season four of Salty. As a reminder, this season is titled Call Me Baby, and we'll be spending the next few months hearing stories that explore themes of love, heartbreak, and as always, a bit of redemption. For today's episode, I should give a disclaimer that we'll be discussing sex. Not in a cross way, but definitely in a literal way. I don't anticipate that our language would be seen as offensive or obscene, but If you have little ones around or are sensitive to the subject of sex, you might want to skip this one. So today's guest asked to remain anonymous, but we'll be calling him Sam. I met Sam and his wife through some of my Christian circles and had heard them both share a bit about their struggles with sex in marriage. There are many great people I could have asked to talk about some topic pertaining to sex, but Sam is one of the few grown men I know who has cultivated the ability to speak about the topic of sex vulnerably. Not crudely, not awkwardly, not in fear, but truthfully. With the permission of his wife, he agreed to open up about the dynamic marital sex has played in their relationship, his personal struggles, and in his growth. And one last thing before we start. While I was editing, I realized that Sam and I laugh a lot in this episode and it struck me that this might come off strange to listeners. Because I'm pretty close with Sam and his wife and have heard their story prior to the show, there's trust and comfortability there. Sam and his wife have an ability to laugh about their story, which I absolutely love, but realized it might've come off as insensitive if you didn't know that we are all friends. Okay, enough disclaimers, let's get into it. Where, were there any sort of ideologies, books, speakers, um, movements that really influenced you and your ideas about sex when you were like a, a younger man, like gearing up for marriage? I, I was raised in a Christian home, but I would say around 15 or 16, I was Christian in name only. And I pretty much adopted the ideas around me. By by eighteen, when I went to college, uh, though the next for the next seven or so years, I was pretty much living outside the church uh, oh. and 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 espousing Christian beliefs. But frankly, I if I look at my life honestly, if I you know I was living my own way. Mm-hmm. Um, at um, my first sexual experience though was in college. And it was well before marriage, and and um, and then it was proved. It, it ended up, you know, I had lots. I have a couple of sexual experiences. Well, quite a few actually before marriage. Mm-hmm. Some were very positive. Some were, or whatever they were. <laughs> um, but uh, at one point, I had lived with a girl for 
I think four, four or five, five years. Whoa, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's a long relationship. Yeah, we, we had started dating when I was 20, uh, 21-ish, okay. late 21, and then up until just about 27. Oh, wow. And we had lived together most of that time. Um, it was a very tumultuous, very rocky, bad relationship in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, she slept with my best friend at one point. We almost broke up. Wow, dramatic. Uh, yeah, like soap opera, like <laughs> craziness going on. Um, there could have been like a reality show about your life. Yeah, in that sense, yeah. Um, the sex was wonderful in that relationship. Mm. Um, this, there was a lot of good sex. The rest of it wasn't very good. Mm. But that part, we would say, uh, the world would say that was good sex or whatever. Mm. If I look back now at what I know, what I know now about intimacy and sexuality, it was the act without the heart. There was, it was all, it was all on feeling. It was all on, is this, is there orgasm? Is there, is there, is, is it mutual orgasm? Is it, you know, how long does it last? It was all these these like surface things about it. It wasn't different categories. Yeah. It was not emotional. There wasn't much emotional except in the feeling. Oh, there was like that, that, you know, that, that intense passionate feeling, but it was really selfish in the end. If I think about what I know about what I know now, back then I wouldn't have said this at all. I considered her kind of my priestess. I think if I look back, um, if you look in the Christian context, there was, you know, well, even the ancient world context, there was Aphrodite. There was, there was the goddess of, you know, the goddess of love, the goddess of sex. They went in, they worshiped with temple prostitutes. You go have sex with a prostitute and worship a god. Wow, that sounds like something people would do nowadays. Um, but they were just more honest about it, I think. Um, and so uh, she was my, she was where I would go to get sex. Um, that's what the relationship was about. It was, it, I didn't care about her. I, I, I look back and I realized I didn't care about her. It was confusing because the, you know, the sex was ostensibly pleasurable, mm-hmm. but the relationship, it was, I was, I was harmful to her in that. I was, it was, it was, it was all about me. It was all about, you know, my feeling, what I got out of it, even though I would tell myself I would give her pleasure. And I made sure that she had pleasure on the whole thing. And I was very, I was trying to be a sensitive lover, so, so to speak. But it was only because I wanted to feel better about myself. If I could pleasure her, then I'd feel better about who I was. Um, so even in the it giving... It wasn't like love for her own sake. Right. It was about, um, look what I can do. Um, you know, yeah, she, I, I blew her mind. Look what I can do. Mm-hmm. That was... That it always was, circled back. It always circled back to me. So it was very selfish in that respect. Again, tell 25-year-old me that. He would never believe you. He would laugh at you and tell you differently because I deceived myself back then I would have said something totally different um I have I've thought a lot about this in in that sense but so I had a lot of those ideas when I when I then came back to um well some people would say you never left but I'd say (laughs) 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 whatever (laughs) um but in about 27 little left just a little after that relationship ended and it landed in some pretty dark ways and some hard ways um the um then I, I, I came back to faith and I started becoming very close to my church and I kind of dove all into the to the church uh, thing. So, hmm. and I, then I did hear things from at that point from pastors and from, from my pastor and from other um, groups. Um, I listened to radio stuff all the time. I tried to, I drove a lot for work. So I listened to a lot of different radio shows. Hmm. Um, there was some good stuff, m- mixed up a lot of like weird stuff that doesn't really work. And so it's really confusing. Hmm. But, um, and I think back, but I think the idea was okay. I'm going to abstain. I'm like, okay, well, you know what? I had great sex before, but I'm going to do it God's way, and I'm going to, and I'm going to, I'm going to get even. It's going to be even better. It's going to be even. 
pure or if you are able to, to wait until marriage um the gentleman who just you know renounced christianity recently and whatever who joshua know, harris joshua. i wondered if he would come up today yeah well, i didn't i didn't like his stuff i was not in his i didn't like you know no dating until marriage i thought that was crazy i thought it was stupid uh-huh. but the more i listened to some stuff about him the sexual prosperity gospel that was kind of built up around him mm-hmm. um, I, I mean love that term uh, yeah i do too i just heard about it. i heard a couple weeks ago i'm like that's exactly the what sexual i sexual was... <laughs> prosperity gospel that's yes. exactly what that that that's exactly what i would imagine what i thought to believe i wouldn't have called it that back then and my church would have completely completely rejects the prosperity right. gospel in general but the sexual prosperity gospel on the other hand <laughs> if you wait until marriage sex will be great in marriage it'll rain down <laughs> Be in abundance. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't that your marriage would be perfect, but you'd have great sex by waiting. And I'm like, and somehow I bought into that. With this new recommitment of faith, Sam dedicated his time to his local church, running sound for Sunday services and events. And one Sunday, he noticed a pretty woman walk into the service. And then the Sundays that followed, she came back again and again. He was physically attracted to her right away, but didn't have intentions of pursuing a relationship with her. After all, they'd never met. But then she began volunteering at the church's youth group events, the same events Sam would be running sound for. And eventually, they wound up in Bible study together, which we all know is where all passionate Christian romances have their genesis, if you know what I mean. Her name was Kelsey. And when Kelsey shared during Bible study that she had decided to end a relationship with her boyfriend because it wasn't a good relationship for her spiritually, Sam took notice. Kelsey was vulnerable with the group, vulnerable about how she wanted to turn her life around from some harmful patterns in the past. Sam related to her, and as life progressed, he watched her love for God and scripture grow, just as his love for those things was growing as well. Sam would make a 40-minute drive to a different Bible study on Friday nights, and he invited anyone in their study group to come along with him anytime they needed a ride. Kelsey was the first one to say she'd like to come along. And just like that, a real friendship began to develop. Dating wasn't as simple as it used to be for Sam. He had been deeply hurt in his past relationship. He had deeply hurt his ex-girlfriend. And sex had played a role in the web of all of that pain. He wrestled with his own intentions of wanting to get close to Kelsey. But after lots of talking with mentors, praying, and eventually bringing his feelings to Kelsey to see how she felt, the two of them began dating. Sam told me that he loved Kelsey's adventurous spirit. They loved trying new things together, taking risks, long hikes, whitewater rafting, spring training, This was different from his last relationship. The two of them had a friendship outside of sex, a spiritual connection that seemed like the kind you look for in a life partner, in a spouse. They had struggles. Things weren't perfect. They even had a breakup or two along the way. But their shared faith in Christ and an authentic friendship sustained those difficulties. One September night on the beach, Sam got on one knee and asked Kelsey to marry him. And hard as it was, the two of them waited to have sex until their wedding night. Sam thought he had tried his best to do this whole relationship thing, God's way. 
we get to a wedding. It was a great wedding. I loved my wedding. It was beautiful. It was fun. It was a good party. And so then we uh, we, we we driven off. My best man drops me off at our first hotel that night. We're gonna fly out the next morning to go to go to Aspen, Colorado, and go snowboarding in the, mm. in the snow. It was the end of the season. It'd be beautiful. And uh, so we, we we get in to the hotel room after the long day of our wedding, and we're going to have sex, and we're gonna we start doing the whole undressing thing, the whole stuff, and it's all going just according to plan. It's going great. It's exciting. It's you know all these things, and um, we I was how do I put this in? <laughs> um, we just started to try to try to have sex, um, mm-hmm. and oh that hurts. Try this way. Okay, that hurts this way. And then at one point. Um, I, I distinctly remember her saying, uh, okay, let's just push through it and it'll just be, it'll be fine. And maybe it's because I had spent a long time because, you know, she had had sex before, didn't have this problem. Um, I have never experienced this problem before with any of the people I'd had sex with. Um, and so we're like, okay, well, and I did that. And so I, I was like, okay, well, and, and I was like, in my mind, I was like, okay, that's what you're asking for. That's what I'll do. I'll, I'll push through. So, and, um, about halfway into that experience, I'm into that into that attempt. Uh, the words came out of her mouth: "I hate you." Um, and um, I roll. I I stopped. I rolled over to my oh side my of the bed, God. and she laid there. We were silent for a while. Um, needless to say, that's as far. That was the end of that night. Um, and uh, we had to. We went. We were. We were kind of tired. It was a long night, and we talked a little bit about it that night. Um, I said this. I didn't say that. I heard this. I didn't understand that. But uh, you heard, I hate you. Oh, that was that was that was an undoubted thing. Okay. That was not. That was heard. That was heard. That was said and heard. That was heard around the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the three words. Um, so here is my wedding night. I first attempted sex, and that's what I heard. And. Um, I what was what she said she didn't say oh I didn't say I wanted to push through it I thought I thought about pushing around it or something some kind of different way she, I don't remember exactly what she, what she had said uh, that she had really said but I had heard some that's what I had heard different than what she had said but what she did say that we both agree on is that I hate you part mm-hmm. and it was heart wrenching I was kind of like the I didn't know what to say I, I didn't know what to do I didn't know what to say I didn't know I, I didn't know anything at that point um, I was this this had never happened before this was this was this was completely uncharted territory um um and joshua harris doesn't talk about <laughs> what to do when your wife says i hate you as soon as you begin The situation ended up persisting. Um, there was a couple of we f- finally we finally were able to have sex a couple days later. Uh, we talked about it, we processed it as much as we could at the time. We didn't understand what was going on. It didn't make any sense to us. Um, over the next six months is when we started going to doctors to figure out what's going on, trying to understand. Uh, she had been starting on birth control a few months before uh, we were getting married, so we thought maybe it was that birth control was causing this. Um, was all kinds of just and that was and she ended up finding out about it 
And about six months in, a doctor finally diagnosed it and started learning about what it was. There's a medical term uh, called vaginissimus. And I had never heard of vaginissimus. And I have now become very aware of this condition. Um, it's, it's a condition. Uh, it's, um, I don't know what you even call it. I don't know if it's psychological. It's physical and psychological. Some, they kind of work together to where sex becomes painful for uh, the, the woman involved. And uh, she's unable to accept any kind of penetration mm. uh, without it being extremely painful. Uh, that's not the end of that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that story goes on for a while. Mm-hmm. So did you, did you tell, did you talk to people about this when that was happening? And like what kinds of advice were you given? Um, I... Uh, I didn't talk to a lot of people in my church or in my family. I left. That was that's never going to happen. Um, <laughs> Unless if they listen to this. <laughs> exactly. I'm still not talking to them about it. They can listen to this all they want. Um, I have um, a couple of guys I talked to. Um, somebody's helping me with my sexual issues. I was how he he I talked to him about it, and they they were they were sympathetic, but they didn't understand it either, and they had never heard about it. So. Um, I, I, I was kind of in uncharted territory for anybody around me. Uh, nobody around me had any experience. And so I was kind of left alone at that point, not intentionally. And they would talk to me about it and they'd listen and they'd empathize, but they had no real suggestions. I mean, during that, that six months, I mean, like you said that, you know, here and there, you guys would try to connect physically, but I mean, I don't think a lot of newlyweds think that they're going to start their marriage and they're going to have six months of like relative abstinence <laughs> at the yeah. beginning of their marriage. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, like, I think the way that I sort of thought about marital sex was that you don't have you're like you're not supposed to have any sex until you get married, and then you get married. This is like a direct quote from one of my pastors, and then you just <laughs> do it all all the time, like anything you want all the time, as long as it's when you're married, and. So I can just imagine that like all of a sudden, right, there has to be this other category that exists in your brain of I'm married and still sex is not available to me whenever I want it. And I don't even mean that in just like a in just like a basic physical way, but like connecting with your wife that way. Like, how did you deal with that? Um, well, so the shock of it. Let's go with the shock of it. Like I had spent uh, even a couple years before I was dating, uh, abstaining from any kind of sexual uh, release of any kind. Um, abstained from masturbation, abstained from pornography. Uh, gone, gone, gone years without that. And uh, and I thought, you know, that was probably. I know I I had used porn in my previous relationship. We both watched porn together and all this stuff. It was I was in incul- I was inculcated in that whole world of mm-hmm. sex and lust. And so now I had abstained from that when I get from from 27 to or 20 about 26 to about 30, um, and so now here I am now in marriage, and it's I I I'd assumed yeah we're gonna, we're gonna have sex that's be part of marriage that's the difference between being married and not being married with sex mm-hmm. we could be friends otherwise like I, I can be your friend like Danielle you and I are friends mm-hmm. but that's the one thing that's never gonna happen kind mm-hmm. of thing, and so that's the difference here and so now here I am with this person that was that had become my friend. But now it wasn't going to be just friends. And now here I had, I, I had chosen. Ro- roommates. We were roommates. Yeah, we were now roommates. We had upgraded. You get to be around them all the time and never touch. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
And so here I am um, thinking, God, what, what, what the heck? Like, I used more words than that. Um, <laughs> I don't get this. Like, here I am. I have chosen to link myself to one person. And now it's not just not having sex until you're married. It's we're not really going to have sex the rest of your life. And that seemed overwhelming. I think how I described it, and the thing that was most painful, is I got married and I got friend zoned by my wife. You know, there's the, if I think about it in the Christian terms, they were naked and unashamed. There was that closeness. And I wanted that desperately. And it felt rejected. It felt like, no, I don't want that closeness with you. I didn't know how to mourn back then. It's something I learned later. I wish I knew, because that's what I was going through. I was going through grief. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going through, and, and I didn't understand. Like, I could have grief about that. I did, it wasn't even something I had. Nobody had told me, you can grieve this. You're going to be grieving sex in your marriage. Try. So would you have described yourself as sexually frustrated? Like, what do you think about that term? I don't, the, the, the term, I don't know. I mean... I know terms are terms. You can define them however you want. But does that but resonate with no, you? No, the word doesn't resonate no. with me. No, no, I was, I was. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it was, it was, it was. If I'm honest, it was a because pain. Because I feel like, <laughs> I feel like, um, I remember dating. When I go back to dating, the word sexually frustrated really resonates with me. When I remember spending all of this time with Jake. And I just remember getting to points where we just had to physically separate because it was just like, I couldn't even like form words. Like I couldn't even communicate anymore because it just was like, it wasn't that my body, I was physically in pain, but I was just uncomfortable. Um, but, but yeah, that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, that's fine. I don't condemn the term. I just know that it wasn't about frustration or physical it was really about the rejection. Mm-hmm. It was about the, re- it felt like a personal rejection of me. Mm-hmm. Like you are being rejected. Mm-hmm. My older self, my early 20s self, that person, sex wasn't that for. Um, it was about getting off. Uh, I, ha- I have to have sex. If I don't, if I don't, if I don't orgasm, I'm not gonna be able to sleep tonight. I don't, I don't know if this sounds like a contradiction, but I feel like on one hand, I feel like you were so sort of adamant on saying that I do not like, I didn't, I do not have a physical need to have sex. You said like you were, like you were saying, I want, I want my wife to see me. But what you mean, what I think you mean, maybe not, is that you want her to acknowledge you sexually. Yeah, that's a primary thing. I mean, honestly. So how are those two things, things like, think, yeah, because I've, I feel like you mm, want you want yeah. to maintain, you're like, no, I don't need sex, I don't need sex, I don't need sex. But then what I hear is that you've been suffering. Yeah. I, I know that's not, a big word. Yeah. I'm, I don't mean like yeah. suffering, like you can't live and do your job and take care of your child. Right. But um, how, like, is that just, a, is that a struggle in your life? Or do you feel like you've made peace with those two things? There, they are. It's something, and this is where I'm still struggling myself because I don't understand it. I understand some of it. I mean, I, I say that because the more I understand, the less I understand. Um, mm-hmm. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah, Me too. I, I knew a lot more when I was younger. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm getting uh, dumber as the years go by. <laughs> what I thought I knew, I don't know. Um, if you would have talked to 20-year-old me, I was a genius. I was a theological <laughs> Oh, man. Genius. Even my early 30, man, I had it all figured out. I had it all figured out. It was the answers were there. Um, 
I I pray. I, I so I, I do I do I walk my dog. I walk my dog in the morning, and I pray for about twenty minutes. And one of my prayer, one of my segments of my prayer time is God, what the hell's going on? Why has this not changed? But we have a son now. God, for my son, I would like him to have a father and a mother that really are close to each other. And um, there's no ha- there's no bow on this story. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'd love to give you a bow, um, but that's not what the that's not what the story is at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about it. I try. I learned. We did a lot of counseling. Went to counseling. Um, went to emotionally focused therapy. It was great. It helped us really. I think it's a great therapy for marriage. I think it's probably the best marriage therapy out there in my mind. We learned how to talk. We learned how to talk about our feelings. We don't argue about it anymore. Now it's not really. I mean, mostly I just come and tell her how sad I'm feeling and how broken I'm feeling. And this is the pattern that's happened for the last five years. She'll feel bad. We'll have sex within a couple days. She promises to change. Uh, life gets in the way, and we've had promises to change, like promises to try to have sex more. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to be more intentional about this. I'm gonna remember that you're here. I'm gonna think about you. I just don't think about it. I just don't think about it. Is what it kind of comes is what happens, and I hear that as I don't think about you, and I feel bad for talking about it. I honestly do. I have this guilt about talking to her about it, like asking for it. Like I shouldn't want to ask for it. I should be okay. Mm-hmm. I should be able to surrender it and let it be whatever God wants it to be and let God be in control of it. But I go up to the tree and want to shake down the apple branch and shake down the, shake down the apples out of the tree. And I want, like, I, want to, I want to make this happen. I make a lot of things happen in my life. I'm a, I'm a, I can go get stuff and I can't make this happen. I can't mm-hmm. make this change. I can't do any. I've gone to the point where I know I can't do anything to change it. And it feels very, um, I feel very powerless. And so, yeah, because you're talking about, you know, if it ended the marriage or what it would, you know, could it ever happen kind of thing. I've, I've thought about those, those thoughts are something that I've thought about, like what happens if I end the marriage? And I, that's my brokenness, it's part of my brokenness. So there's something about this that has to change in me. I think the only thing I can think of at this point is there's something about this that has to change in me that needs to change in me to make me healthier, more more like what God wants me. He's, he's apparently doing something that is really painful. It's a deep surgery of some kind. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like or what I'm going to look like when it's done. As I became inspired to incorporate the revelations of Julian of Norwich into my season, it was episodes like this one that made me wonder if it was the right choice. I mean, after Julian's miraculous healing we learned about last episode, she went on to become not just an ordinary nun who traditionally remained celibate and unmarried, but an anchoress, meaning she vowed to live the rest of her life in a tiny stone structure attached to a church. 
pardon my language here, but Julian's life seems one of the least sexy ones I can imagine. And here I am including her in a season where we address erotic love. But where there's a will, there's a way. And it's one of Julian's later revelations that kept popping up for me as I heard Sam's story. I'm going to paraphrase the image. So in her 15th vision, Julian sees a rotting body lying on the ground. It's horrible to look at all of the decay and disease on this person. But then suddenly, stick with me here, this gets weird, out of the body rises this perfect, sweet, healthy little child. Julian says that this child represented the purity of the soul, while the body represented the wretchedness of death. And as she witnesses this in her vision, the awareness dawns that God is highlighting not how terrible the man's fate is, but that the real miracle was that even as the man had suffered so great a measure, God had preserved something eternal within him, something even the ugliest of outcomes couldn't take. In our churches and marriage conferences, and even on this podcast, we Christians love to highlight the stories that end in miracles. I struggled editing this episode because I wanted to find within it the moment of redemption, the moment where I could share the triumph, the victory in Christ, that we don't all need sex, people. Sam is happy. His wife is happy because Jesus is better than sex. But I felt dishonest creating a narrative that was in the actual conversation, not there. Julian, as I mentioned last episode, lived in a time and in a city that was consumed by the sweeping effects of the Black Plague. She receives this vision from God that seems so timely for the present suffering around her. Disease, decay, loss of life again and again. And if her vision was a true one, it seems that God was reassuring her that the cruel death all around was not the end of the story. Even a body, rotten and diseased, could contain within it an indescribable beauty preserved by its maker, a beauty that no plague or ailment could steal, a beauty that those on earth would have to wait to see revealed. I wouldn't equate the angst of sexual abstinence with the loss of life by Europe's Black Death. I don't think Sam would either. But I do see a very human, very physical pain in Sam's story. And in many marriages where a couple is struggling with the shame, fear, and isolation that can come when sex is difficult. Once in a while, in our churches or our podcasts, I think we need to share stories like this one too. Stories of Christians who have not received their miracle yet, or their bow as Sam calls it. We should do our best to listen without judgment and maybe acknowledge a victory of a woman keeping her wedding ring on even when she doesn't want to. A man fixing his wife's coffee just the way she likes it, even though she said something so unkind the night before. Maybe it's not that they haven't visited the right therapist yet or surrendered something enough times. Maybe God is doing something we can't see. Maybe there is a beauty that is being hidden. And maybe the best thing we can do is wait with them in their suffering or in the famine and congratulate them when they manage to stick around. I don't know.
No, there's no bow. There's right? no bow. I don't have a bow. I wish I had a bow. I, I, We're still oh, alive. <laughs> it's one more day. I have. I'm, I'm still married. I have a son, and I'm still living here. And um, cute son. He's a very cute son. I love him to death. But yeah, there is no bow. I, maybe someday there'll be a bow. That would be nice. You just call me when there's one. I'll come oh, back over with my recording equipment. We'll talk about the bow. <laughs> Sam and his wife shared that over the years, they've actually resolved the issues related to vaginismus, but that sex has continued to be a struggle between them. This episode is not meant to dissuade couples from seeking therapy or medical help when issues like this arise. If anything, it's to encourage couples to speak out about their struggles, whether or not they are fixed right away. And of course, we unfortunately don't get to hear the account of all of this from Sam's wife's point of view. So know that there is more to the story that isn't all of ours to know. And that's okay. This was a short snapshot into Sam's struggles. And I want to thank Sam, who is not named Sam, for teaching us with the open and honest way he shared. I'll be back with a new episode in two weeks. You can subscribe to Salty on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You can follow on Instagram at Salty Podcast and visit the website at saltypodcast.com. A special thanks to Daniel Pimentel for sharing his music with us all season long. You can find today's featured song, Famine, and his other music on iTunes, Apple Music, and Spotify. Thank you all so much for listening. <laughs>